Kia ora and welcome to the Kerry Podcast, where we highlight research that weaves together the Word of God in Scripture, the world in which we live, and the work of Christian discipleship. We invite you to join us as we explore ways in which we can live, serve, and witness with Jesus in our constantly changing world. Kia ora, my name is Nicola Mountford and I work at Kerry Baptist College which is a wonderful place and there I lead the field education and internships program which is a place where students get to integrate their biblical and theological learning with their practice and with their lives holistically. I'm also a Baptist pastor but in this episode I am going to be talking with the wonderful Emma Stokes, who is the Bible and Missions Lecturer at Kerry. We are going to be discussing her research on the Samaritans in the Gospel of Luke. And one of the things that I especially loved was hearing Emma's challenge to approach scripture with our eyes and ears opened, leaving behind assumptions that limit our understanding. Um, And in this case, the significance of the Samaritans. Emma, it is so good to be able to talk with you today about your research on the Samaritans in the Gospel of Luke. I know this is an absolute area of passion for you where you're digging and doing a whole heap of work, but first of all, would you be able to tell us a bit about yourself and how you ended up at Kerry? Sure, kia ora Nicola. Um, I am pretty new to Kerry in my current role and I think I'm still thanking God in wonder and amazement I get to be here. It's, well, um, <laughs> I'm thanking God too for that. It's a good thing. <laughs> it's such a good team to be a part of. Um, but Kerry is a bit of a familiar, much-loved place for me because uh, I've spent a, a good, long number of years mm-hmm. uh, studying here by distance nice. as a student. So I, I didn't grow up in the church, hmm. so it was actually right at the time I came to the end of my studies at university, I started on a journey that led me to Jesus and completely reorientated my life. And um, over time, I had to do uh, quite a lot of reinterpreting about what I thought I knew about the world, about others, about myself. Mm -hmm. And I started off with a pretty shonky and uh, (laughs) limited understanding of who God was. But I knew enough to know that one of the places to go for answers was the Bible. That's a good choice of a place to go to. Very good. Now, at that point, I have to admit that when it came to reading the Word, I I didn't know anything about how to do that. And I didn't know anything about cultural context or historical backgrounds or exegesis or different genres or (laughs) original languages. Who does to start with? I mean, this is what we love to talk about here. But... Uh um, At the time, what I knew was that these words and this book had been given to us by God, and and that made them the most precious words on the planet. And I just had this compulsion to be able to read and understand them, and that desire just grew. That's a good desire. Very good. Yeah. So that got stronger when a number of years later I'd I'd moved from being um, a policy analyst and into a Christian nonprofit, and then I'd ended up in an entirely new role where I was responsible for the development of a, like a year-long missional discipleship program for school leavers. Okay, yeah. And the responsibility of 
building a community of of caring for them of creating this program that would form and shape them into faithful followers it just and made me realize how much more I wanted how much more I needed to understand if I was going to be able to do that well yeah. and and meet the challenges and questions that come from working closely um, with people living, learning, serving yeah, together. I'm sure there'd be many, many questions that would arise. Yeah, anyone yeah. who works in youth work um, yes. knows this uh, for sure. Um, any, any kind of mission work, hey, and church work questions, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I hadn't then, and I still haven't now, gotten past having my mind absolutely blown by the fact that the God of the universe and the creator of all things, Mm -hmm. this majestic and holy and powerful and awesome God, um, whose work involves the redemption of all things, actually invites us in the power of the Spirit to get in on that and to work through the local church and in a myriad of other ways. And I wanted those that I was journeying with to just catch the excitement of that and the the fullness and the meaningfulness of that life. Yeah, you wanted to pass it on yeah. so that they could have that and understand that too. Yeah, it's yeah. an incredible thing to be invited mm-hmm. into. And and I was beginning to understand as well, there were ways of being and doing that that brought flourishing, ways of getting involved in mission that led to long-term holistic transformation mm-hmm. for everyone involved, and there were ways that didn't. Okay. Yep. And I wanted to make sure that we were going to be training and equipping God's people to be involved in that holistic, transformative mission, wherever they ended up in life. And and that led me right back uh, to needing to study. Ah, study. Yeah. Yes. So, so what happened then? And so I came Kerry Baptist College oh, as a distance nice. student, yeah. um, part time while serving full time in ministry, as you as do. You do yeah. um, <laughs> because to be able to do my job and lead the ministry well. I had to know more Mm. and so I began this very very long (laughs) but amazing journey um, with a wonderful community of people uh, wrestling with how to read the Bible well moving into a deeper understanding of who God is Mm -hmm. who we are as his people how to minister well how to live in the world as faithful followers of Jesus and I mean I'm still on that journey yeah it's still (laughs) it's still a desire to live and serve faithfully and to be able to come alongside others as they do that too. That has provided the impetus for me to move through post-grad work at Kerry and then into the PhD program at Otago, where I'm currently still working away on my thesis. Yes, you are. I mean, that's a, it's been an amazing journey that you've been on, Emma. Thank you for, for telling us that. So but what is your research all about? Can we we'll talk about your research? What are you, what are you doing there? Well, the the primary area of focus for my current research is a a narrative reading of the three pericope, the three stories that include Samaritan characters in Luke's Gospel. Hmm. And in particular, I'm interested by the rhetorical effect of their inclusion in the narrative. So Samaritans show up three times in Luke's Gospel and then again in Acts. And because I read Luke-Acts as a narrative unity, I find what happens in Acts intriguing and and important too. Uh, And over this incredible story of both the ministry of Jesus and then the expansion of the church, we find Samaritans popping up at interesting times. They're in there a few times, right? 
So the, the Luke and Jesus, after being refused hospitality in a Samaritan village, that's in 951 to 56, goes on to tell a positive story about a good Samaritan in Luke 10, 25 to 37, and then to heal a Samaritan with lepra and commend him for his faith mm. um, in Luke 17, 11 to 19. Yeah. And when we get into Acts of the Apostles, Philip preaches to Samaritans in Acts 8, uh, and they receive Christ, but only later receive the Spirit through the laying of hands by Peter and John. And, and all this occurs prior to the Gentiles receiving the gospel. Nice, okay. And so this has raised quite a number of historically motivated questions, for starters, about the reasons for Samaritan inclusion and absence in various texts. Uh, the place of Samaritans and the development of early Christianity. Um, and reasons for this unusual third space that Samaritans seem to occupy between Jews and Gentiles. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we do hear about the Samaritans, but I don't really know that much about them. Yeah, well, I think normally when I tell people I'm looking at Samaritans in Luke, you know, I see this immediate recognition. You know, Samaritans, they just, they seem familiar, right? Because the Good Samaritans, one of the best-known parables in the Absolutely, Bible. Yeah. And not just for Christians. You know, hospitals, charities mm -hmm. are named after Samaritans. People are referred to being a Good Samaritan if they help someone in need. And you know, there are Good Samaritan laws in numerous countries. Yeah. So I like to say, you know, Good and Samaritan go together like Christmas and Santa. Um, oh, they're just go. linked in people's minds. <laughs> regardless of whether or not it's a helpful association. Mm. The good Samaritan is the epitome of the good sort. You know, he stands for the universal humanistic figure who helps those right. in need. Yes, indeed, yep. But the problem starts to show up when you lift the lid on that good label. Because mm. does labelling the character in this parable, the good Samaritan, imply that other Samaritans are not good? Oh, now there's a question. There's a question. I, I, I googled Samaritan before we, we met to do this podcast. And as well as there being a not so great movie of that name, which I haven't seen, but there were lots of helping organizations and volunteer, volunteer organizations listed. But are you going to, I don't know, are you going to change our ideas on that maybe? On the good? I don't know. What, what, what are you going to What are you going to say, Emma? Well, I certainly don't want to imply Samaritans are uh, not good, mm -hmm. um, but I'm hoping that I can help us to have a more nuanced and historically aligned perspective on Samaritans, at least when we come across them uh, in Luke's Gospel. Yes, and and it's quite fascinating when you get into Lucan studies and you come across conversations about Samaritans and particularly the parable of the Good Samaritan, you find that the Samaritans typically been characterized in the last 400 years as very bad. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Now, and I should say here that that's not always been the case. So early Christian readings interpreted the parable allegorically and the Samaritan was often seen to represent Christ. So um, it definitely was held up as an, an epitome of everything yeah, good. I mean, it's quite different from how I've been taught the Good Samaritan. Mm. Yeah, because from about the 16th century, that Good Samaritan routinely gets cast as someone who is despised. Mm. Uh, and this this is so basic. Um, 
This assumption is so basic to the interpretation of the parable that even when you come across scholars who demonstrate affinity with the history and religious practices of Samaritans, they are quite comfortable just brushing over that and defining this Samaritan entirely as one who stands in a hostile relationship to the Mm. Jewish people. So the Samaritan simply becomes identified as a hated enemy. And that reductionist move just pushes out of the picture a long and complicated relationship between Jews and Samaritans. And it's not just overlooked in the reading of this parable, but in the other places that Samaritans show up in the gospel. And the thing is, Samaritan characters show up at times and in places within the story that suggest their appearance is about more than just a surprising example of a hated enemy doing a good deed. There's things to see there, but there's more than that going on. Okay, so it's not as black and white as we might have thought. Indeed. Um, And, you know, all of these accounts that involve Samaritans are part of Luke's special material. So they're only found in Luke. Wow, okay. So they're a deliberate choice Mm -hmm. um, by the author to include Samaritans in the telling of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So there's definitely more going on. And... I'm intrigued. Well, so am I, because this is different from what, like I said, what I've grown up hearing. Um, I know you did too. Had the joy of studying Luke under the wonderful Dr. Sarah Harris at Kerry. Yes, absolute joy. Yeah, amazing, amazing gifted woman. Mm -hmm. And when I came to look at research, she suggested some topics that I could look into Mm. and sparked the idea for this current project. I have to say, now though, I am hooked. You're hooked, you're in, <laughs> yep, line yep. um, and sinker. It's been a, a fascinating, fascinating journey of discovery. But I also have to say, it wasn't just the topic for me. Um, it was also the sense that for my own long-term involvement in mission and ongoing interest in training and discipleship, I really needed to put the hard yards into research and learn the further skills Uh, for working with the text that that kind of project would demand of me um, so that I'd have the the foundation and the skill set necessary to do the work well. Sure that was a lot of lot of work you've put in I know that I know that there's been a lot of work that you've put in and are putting in. (laughs) Yeah there's never enough Um, (laughs) so that said it might sound strange if I follow that up by saying putting time and effort into studying especially higher level research, has always been a tension for me. I'm really conscious that the time I've spent up to my eyeballs in (laughs) books and going down research rabbit holes Mm -hmm. over the past few years is time I haven't spent in ministry here in New Zealand or with our partners in Southeast Asia. Um, I mean, or with family or friends or, let's be honest, Keeping the house decluttered and tidy. Oh, that's um, fun, but that's a team affair, right? <laughs> and that, that's weighed on me. Now, now just to be clear, mm-hmm. uh, it's the least time for family, ministry, and mission that's weighed on me, not lower standards of housework. No, that doesn't Let's matter. move on from all housework. Is, all is fine. <laughs> yep. But what, what, um, what keeps me going is that as I continue to serve in different contexts here and elsewhere, I'm both confronted and encouraged. Mm. I'm confronted by the complexity and the 
gut-wrenching nature of some of the challenges that we're facing in the world. And I'm encouraged by the long-term costly gospel transformation that I see happening in lives and communities when God's people join in the work of God's mission. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. So if there's any way that I can serve the church by being part of helping train and equip people who give themselves to that mission, then I'm in. Yep. Um, in. Yeah, yep. and it's a bit of a cycle really. You know, if we want to get into the theme of our podcast here, mm-hmm. as things change, as, as new challenges present themselves in the world, you know, we seek both to do the due diligence that we need to understand the complexities of the challenges we're facing and then to go back into the word to be formed and equipped Mm. for the work that needs to be done in response and all of that is guided by and in full dependence on the spirit. So good so we're doing the work and that's making the change and it's helping to to pass that on to others. Yeah yeah and I'm I'm convinced if we're going to be ambassadors for Christ and serve faithfully, we have to be prepared to undertake a costly journey and to Mm. learn and train, to be equipped and encouraged to do the research, to soak in the word, to try things out, to take risks, to reflect (laughs) Um, and then repeat. Mm. And we don't get to the end of that process. You know, we don't figure it all out one day, but we share what we learn and we can do the work together and help each other to stay aligned with God's purposes and not just get caught up in our own. Oh, absolutely. I do like that, to um, to learn and train and equip. And it takes time, it takes effort, it takes sacrifice, but yeah, and it's so well worth it. Yeah, and I think it's, it's something we need to do continuously, right? We need to be continually yep. formed, not just as individuals, but as communities, mm. so that we can reach out with a gospel that, transforms individuals and families and communities and we have to do that together as god's people in our churches Mm -hmm. i mean we've got to have um, a wider conversation too so we need to be thinking about the global church and what they contribute yes and how the church through the ages speaks into the challenges we face today traditions of the church yeah 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 and i think to me that's something that research gives us Mm. it's this rich resource for the task of the church it's the chance to you know dig deep and think well and access conversations Mm -hmm. so that we can sharpen and challenge and strengthen and embolden chastise um, (laughs) encourage (laughs) each other and and learn together so i think being involved in research fuels us as god's people Mm -hmm. you know it gives us frameworks for working through practical issues and ministry and mission and helps form us so that yeah we can be faithful participants it's a good thing to be faithful participants in in god's mission it just makes me think of like stepping back onto the balcony and and looking out and and seeing what we can what we can do what we can get involved in you know what can we research and then getting in there and digging really deep Mm. so it's that looking from a distance and getting in and rolling up your sleeve. So that's beautiful, Emma. Um, I mean, I know I know your heart for mission and ministry and study and research and family. And I'm so grateful that you're doing the research that you're doing um, because 
research matters. It matters a lot and it informs us and it helps us grow and learn. So, so what are some of your key findings and learnings? What can you, what, what can you tell us at this point? (laughs) Well, um, it feels pretty preemptive to answer that at this stage. You know, Mm. I've, I have learned so much, but it's still all sort of shaking down into various areas that I've been investigating. Mm. Um, But some of the background work has been a bit of a delve into who the Samaritans are, you know, historically, and and the debates that Mm. revolve around that. And archaeological and material evidence, historical work, you know, points us to this much more complex and nuanced situation in terms of the relationship between Samaritans and Jews in first century Palestine than just one simply of tension and hostility. So, I mean, I'm not going to try and unpack that here, but I know that one of the things I've been struck by is the significance of the Samaritans in the New Testament milieu. You know, as a group of people, they are geographically, economically, politically religiously significant in the very space and at the very time in which the gospel narratives unfold. Right, yeah. And so even though they don't factor as the main players in the gospel, Samaritans are really significant to the story that Luke is trying to tell us. And I don't think we can afford to dismiss them merely as, you know, hated enemies Mm -hmm. as we have been. Yeah, that just seems too too black and white like you're saying there's more nuance um i am intrigued when you say uh, that the historical work shows something different that will than what we've been taught in church or what we've taught us uh, ourselves and that the relationship between jews and samaritans you know might be something different to that of tension and hostility that we've we've kind of always thought um i wonder it might be quite nice to unpack this in a future podcast once your <laughs> thesis is published, you know, we can do that some more. Um, but I'm just thinking about one, okay, one thing a little while ago that Emma and I did, which is so good that we did together, is we have been privileged to visit the modern day Samaritans in the West Bank of Palestine on Mount Gerizim. Mm. So, you know, these are people that exist now that we've gone and hung out with and eaten with. So. Yeah, and I, I don't know if everyone realises that. Mm. You know, this is not just a, a historical group that's disappeared, mm. but um, a modern-day people. Yeah. And you know, from a research perspective, um, methodologically, we can't just take knowledge of who the Samaritans are today and Mm -hmm. retroject it into first century Palestine but that doesn't change the fact they are a fascinating and resilient people and it's been such a gift uh, to get to know more about them and it was it was so incredible to be there wasn't it and I know for me standing on Mount Gerizim was yeah it was something else Um, absolutely so we we got to visit one of the communities there so Today there's, there's about 800 people living in two Samaritan communities. Um, so Kiryat Luza is on Mount Gerizim. Um, that's where we went. Mm-hmm. And then in Holland, south of Tel Aviv, um, there's, there's another community as well. Now, the Samaritans don't um, describe themselves 
as Samaritans. So in English, the the full title that they would use is the sons of Israel, keepers of the truth of the Torah, or the keepers for short. Um, And today they they see themselves as a bridge of peace among people in the region, and Mm. they're committed to that very difficult work. Um, But this Samaritan's community's self-understanding is that they are true Israelites. Right, yes. They, um, yeah, they they trace their priestly line through the tribe of Levi um, and the three additional clans through the sons of Joseph and the tribes of um, Ephraim and Manasseh. And and I think the the material evidence and the historical work that's been undertaken in Samaritan studies means we we just can't afford to dismiss that claim. Mm. It's, it's important. It's really important to look at that. Eh? And I mean, your research is going really deep, really deep. But um, I was wondering, Emma, what can you tell us is the significance of your research for, you know, for the church or in the world around us? You know, how can we take it from being this really deep academic work to some other things that we might understand more? Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I guess um, the intricacies of um, research don't always um, spin everyone's wheels. But um, and, and I think the, the truth is that in these early stages, there's just a lot of work that I still have to do to really land this in a space um, where it will serve the church well. But that is, of course, always the goal. Yeah. Um, and at this point, I guess I would just, say that the way Samaritans are routinely overlooked and misunderstood or you know boxed into this casting as this hated enemy in Luke's gospel has really alerted me more generally to how easy it is to be completely blind to assumptions that we bring to reading the text Mm, yes and you know these assumptions or you know, maybe we could call them blind spots, they frame the way we read God's word. And there's certain ideas and understandings I think we miss in scripture because they just don't fit the frame that we've brought to the text. Mm. And I've been convicted over and over again while I've been doing this research of the danger of doing that. And and I guess also of the importance of reading the word of God in a community. Right, so just not... In isolation. Yeah, 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 and I mean, when I when I say community, I I mean locally in our in our churches, mm-hmm. you know, but also as a movement, yeah, you know, as a nation, you know, yeah. and as God's people globally. And I mean, I alluded to this before, and with the church across time, right, with the traditions, with the yeah, saints, yeah, because we need each other's perspectives. Mm-hmm. Like we need to see ourselves and God and His Word and the world and our work through each other's eyes because we're always going to be limited by what we can see on our own. Yeah, so we get perspective from others. Yeah, yeah. Perspectives, yeah. Definitely. And I guess with my work, I'm particularly interested in what the inclusion of Samaritans in Luke's gospel can help us understand about bringing people together um, across perceived boundaries, Mm. you know, boundaries of all kinds. because when we when we're able to read alongside those who are other from us in you know whatever way that is we just see things differently yeah. we when we include people 
whose perspectives and experiences are removed from our own um, oh, it just helps us recognize our limiting assumptions mm-hmm. and not just in the text but in the world <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> you know, when we when we stop thinking we already know who people are mm. and what they bring and where their place is yeah um we stand a much better chance of letting people be who they're supposed to be and of actually being a people who are gathered around jesus mm. and not our own mm. agendas um so we're looking at like the breaking down of stereotypes yeah yeah. Which are just not helpful. Yeah. And can sometimes be harmful. Yeah. 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 And so th- there's that in our, you know, in our physical context. And then there's also, you know, this ability to come to the word of God without being already sure what it's going to say to us. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, how do we That's hear? a good idea. <laughs> we say at Bible College when we do come to scripture and sometimes have our eyes opened in, in a way that's just can be mind-blowing yeah yeah absolutely um yeah i think when we when we don't have all of that set in stone in our heads already Mm -hmm. then god really can speak to us well god's always speaking to us perhaps we should say we can actually hear him we can hear yeah Yeah. that's a good thing yeah ears are open yeah and i mean i know um you've thought about this from the perspective of john's gospel Mm. looking at assumptions brought to the text and another story involving a Samaritan um, in John 4 and I guess in this case it's not really that she is a Samaritan but that she's a woman Mm. Um, so yeah I think you've got uh, some insight on what I'm talking about here yeah well that story is one that's captivated me the story of the Samaritan woman in John's gospel and I do you know people do talk about the fact that she's a, a Samaritan and and add that to her personality and, and, and characterize her in a particular way. Mm. Um, I mean, I've just done this as a small study. This is not PhD kind of level, but you know, oh, you never know. It's something. Well, there we go. Um, but it's just something that I just keep coming back and back to this story um, mm. because I do wonder whether we bring assumptions to this text as well and kind of look at it with a you know put on our 21st century glasses. Um, when I looked at this, the passage. Um, there's, I noticed there's been some really great work done by scholars, quite recent work, um, on things such as marital situations in first century Palestine, like Dr. Lynn Kohik done, has done some really great work in there. And, you know, perhaps consider that having had five husbands and living with the t- current partner might not equal deviant, sinful woman. It might not. Instead, the Samaritan woman might have experienced much sorrow and difficulty in her life. Mm. And we're seeing Jesus' divine insight into her situation because, you know, there's no record of any others in the first century of Palestine having had five, um, you know, marriages. So it's we're just going to look at things differently. And, And importantly, Jesus doesn't condemn her. You know, that's important in the text as well. And neither do her townspeople. And, I mean, there's no historical evidence that going to the well at noon is what people who are, you know, real shame-faced did, snuck out, and, you know, ones that ousted from their community that didn't want to be seen. There's no historical evidence about that. So perhaps, you know, I mean, 
my reading there, perhaps this is, could be a literary technique that um, the writer of, you know, that John writes, uses to contrast the woman's response to Jesus with that of Nicodemus in the earlier story. So I love what you're saying, Emma, about not bringing assumptions to the text, because that's what I see with the Samaritan woman mm. text. I mean, mm. And all, you know, she ends up being the first evangelist and people come to faith and to Jesus in their masses and this is a Samaritan people. Um, you know, we've yeah. got to take those 21st century glasses off when we read scripture. Otherwise, we might miss what the Spirit of God is saying to us. So, yeah. you know, I'm so interested in your research in that kind of area, you know, about how to challenge assumptions. Mm, mm. Yeah, there's... There's so much um, to see in the word that uh, can really shape and mold us mm -hmm. and orientate us around God and equip us for the work when we have eyes to see and yeah. ears to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, going back to the Good Samaritan, when we think about the conversation that Jesus has with the lawyer before he tells that Good Samaritan parable, you know, even if we just you know, tried to unpack what it means to love God and love others well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We just get drawn into this breathtakingly beautiful and powerful redemptive story. And I mean, the church has got so much to offer when we are genuinely communities that love God with everything that we are and everything we have yes. and when we love each other as ourselves. Yeah. Um, that's what we're called to do. Right? Yeah, yeah, and there's, you know, there's a number of things at the moment that are threatening to um, tear us apart, and um, finding a way to stick it out together for the sake of the gospel and for our witness to the world is mm. is a vital task, um, a challenging one. Um, it is challenging. Yeah, but it's it's pretty incredible too mm. to reflect on some of the God-honoring ways that um, communities of God's people have lived out the gospel over generations. And I'm really encouraged by the work of our churches now in their communities, um, particularly as we're you know, in difficult times. And yeah, it just leaves me filled with hope. Me too. Yeah, it's good to have that hope and to see communities you know, of God's people doing good things. Yeah, and I think that Good Samaritan story, the way you you push into it there, it is a breathtakingly beautiful and powerful redemptive story. Well, Emma, this has been a delight and a privilege to talk with you today. Um, your research is so meaningful and it matters for the church and it matters for people and it matters for the gospel. Uh, so listeners if you want to study with Emma Stokes the wonderful Emma Stokes she'll be teaching the mission of God next semester at Kerry Baptist College and if you happen to be listening close to the time when we are recording this in 2023 we are offering an amazing deal to study this paper through our Kerry local initiative in semester two so check that out um, Emma's also teaching through the book of Acts next semester as well uh, but yeah go to our website for details kerry.ac.nz so come journey with us at Kerry you'll be glad you did until next time Haere Rā
If you've enjoyed this podcast, Kerry has a range of pathways that can help you learn how to weave together God's Word, God's world, and God's work. For more information about on-site and distance study, visit kerry.ac.nz.